morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. Our text this morning will be found in verses 14 through verse 23. Welcome, welcome. God has blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you, my brother Matt and the rest for leading us before the throne um, in worship. Um, Special welcome to you if you are here for the very first time. Um, And always, um, it is a joy to have our son Seth home uh, with us uh, from northern Iraq. And with him is a young woman who also serves the Lord and the people in northern Iraq. Her name is Emily. And uh, in our family, we refer to her as the answer to our prayers. There is a text before us um, that is heavy. It is weighty. Um, You know that I preach and have for however long, 20 plus years, I preach expositionally, which means verse by verse by verse, which does not allow me or give me the authority or the liberty to remove certain texts of scripture that are difficult to handle, such as this morning's text that is hard and difficult to handle. But we know that all of scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so we go um, to this text. Um, We need to first pray. I need um, help as we, Lord willing, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear and our eyes to see what the Lord wants us uh, to learn this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we come before you with heads bowed as a, as a sign, as an indication of our submission to your authority. We thank you that you are sovereign over all. Lord, as we have a text in front of us that is a heavy, weighty text, God, I am so thankful that your, your spirit is here and that your word is perfect and powerful. I, I just pray right now that you would um, guide me and guard my mind and my mouth. Father, I pray as we receive this that we understand that you have a perfect plan, as hard and as harsh as it may be to hear. And God, may, may us, by hearing this truth this morning, may it propel us, move us, and motivate us to tell people, to tell people about who Jesus is. And the amazing grace, the mercy, and the love that you offer. Father, we ask, Lord, that you be glorified in every part you give strength. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, it's been about uh, 50 weeks, believe it or not, in our series throughout the Gospel of Mark. We have been following recently uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. And right now we are in the very final moments um, of the last day 
of Jesus's public ministry. It's probably at this point late on Wednesday. Remember, Thursday, Jesus will prepare for the Passover together with his disciples. They'll eat the Last Supper, and later that night, he will be betrayed. Uh, Friday, Jesus will be on the cross and die. Sunday, Jesus will rise from the dead. Think of this. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus lived again. Why? So that you and I can truly live forgiven, redeemed, and rescued. Remember, if you go all the way back to the very first chapter in Mark, Mark in chapter 1, we see in, in verse 15 what? Jesus himself proclaiming the purpose, the reason for his coming, the king, that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We've seen that all the way through. In this series, we know it all boils down, it all comes down to this question, what are you, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? This king who who quietly and gently touches and heals the sick and the blind and the lame, this king who patiently teaches those that are closest to him with such simple words and pictures that he creates like, like salt and light and bread and wheat and sheep. That same king who is that gentle and that simple is the same king who rebukes a storm with a spoken word, who chastens religious leaders, who curses a fig tree. This is the life and this is the character of who Jesus is. The same king that in a sense kind of comes bumping into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey is the same king who bursts, literally bursts into the temple to clean house saying, this is my house. This is the irony of who Jesus is. What? Who unites apparent extremes of character into a perfectly balanced blessing, and yet what does he do? He demands an extreme response from every single one of us. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let's set the scene here for this text. We know that he is sitting close with those that are closest to him. Peter, Andrew, James and John. They'd gone out of the eastern gate. They've gone down into the Kidron Valley. They've crossed the little stream. They climbed their way back up to the Mount of, of Olives. And they have a stunning view of the Temple Mount. And upon admiring the beauty, Jesus looks and says, Oh, yeah, by the way, there's not going to be one block. There's not one brick that will remain. The disciples are shocked by this. And so what is all of, all of Mark chapter 13, 32 verses is a response to, to two questions that the disciples ask. They ask what? When will these things take place and what will be the sign? Now Jesus obviously does not say the specifics as to when, but he does what? tell them what to expect. And he tells us, future generations, what to expect. So this what? This is all history to come. It is, it is prophetic. It is predictive. These are the last days, a description from Jesus, King Jesus, the last days before establishing a lasting kingdom. It's interesting that people are fascinated with the study of the end times. 
And yet what's amazing, if you're a student at all of the word of God, you read this, you hear this, and this, this, is, this is a horrible description. It's a, it's a horrible time. And so what happens, I think in all honesty, it's designed, what, at some levels it frightens us, but it reminds us about the urgency of what we have to do. Like, this is what is coming. This is what will happen. So we are to tell people to prepare for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and not prepare in a way that you've heard today. Like, let's build a bunker somewhere. Let's fill it with, like, lots of of bottled water and toilet paper and make sure we have enough beef jerky and and freeze-dried food. I actually ran upon, just this week, as a matter of fact, I ran upon an advertisement. It sounds pretty convincing. With extreme weather and heat and fires and floods hitting much of the country and civil turmoil, keeping semi-trucks from making their deliveries, which I had no idea that was happening. There's never been a better time to build up your food storage. Freeze-dried meals are a classic emergency preparedness food. Are you serious? I do have to admit the chicken tortellini looked really good in this advertisement. (laughs) But it's not going to cut it. It's not going to be you. Okay, this is how you prepare. Let's make sure that we just load up, lock ourselves in. No, no. We tell people. That's the urgency. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our job is to communicate. It is not to convince. That's the Lord's job. He draws people unto himself. But we better care. We better love. We better communicate with absolute clarity. The fact is, it is very, very obvious. The world, and every day we are greeted, the world is not getting better. On the contrary. It's getting more wicked. Every day the world is getting more dangerous, more deadly. There is not going to be a heaven on earth. There is no utopia. There is no nirvana or Shangri-La. There's no age of Aquarius to look forward to. There's no what? We just need more love. We just need to all coexist. If there was just more peace on earth, then everything would all just sit in a circle and hold hands and hum songs and everything would be fine. No, that's not what we see. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Since the fall of mankind, we feel the ever-increasing weight of of the curse of sin. Paul describes in Romans chapter 8 like this, that we know the whole creation... The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Isn't it interesting that Paul chooses to use the same term, the same description that Jesus does when he talks about what? Labor pains. Labor pangs. Ask any woman here, any mama who has given birth. Men, we just cannot, we cannot completely identify. But what, as the contractions come more frequently they become progressively worse and they hurt more and more and more. That's the image that God has given to us. But ask any mother, after what? After the burden of labor comes the blessing, comes the gift. You realize that's the message of the good news. Regardless of how dark it looks right now, in the midst of this bad news. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and that is all under his control. We learned about this last week when we talked about the fact what we need to be wise, see that no one leads you astray. We need to what be watchful, we need to be on our guard. And we need to be witnesses, knowing what the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So we have a lot of work that needs to be done. All of that by way of background, it sets the stage. Let's pick it up, Mark chapter 13. We'll begin in verse 14 and read down through verse 23. Here it is. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the house stop not go down nor enter his house to take anything else. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation, listen to this, as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never, excuse me, will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Three points I want to give to you this morning. The first one, in a sense, we see and we hear of the event that marks the time of tribulation. Number one, the event specifically that marks the time of tribulation. So this, this text, this passage, this portion of scripture deals primarily with a specific event described in verse 14 when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he, which means it's an individual, in a sense performing one act Standing where he ought not be, it, it refers to what we would say there is one individual who is against Christ, unlike any other, referred to him as the Antichrist. And this is an event that speaks about the ultimate desecration, ultimate, absolute desecration of God's temple. It is further described in verse 19, but in those days there will be such tribulation. And note very carefully and very importantly, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Now, now wait one moment. Hold pause on that. Worse than any event that has ever happened in the history of the world since its creation. Well, I, I can think and I can recall, many of you can recall the images of that day on September the 11th back in 2001. And we would say what? Words like horror were used. And it still plays in, in one moment. 2,996 people dead. They, just, they were just going to work, just a normal day. Or, or we go back and we say, well, far worse than that. Some of you remember the, the, the Vietnam conflict. You realize that over a quarter of a million, a quarter of a million, 250,000 plus civilians were killed 
during the Vietnam conflict. And then you go back even further. It's, it's hard. How do you fathom a number of the atrocities that, that, that what Nazi Germany was responsible for, where six million, six million human lives were extinguished in a short period of time. Go back even further than that, 14th century, it's what? We have the bubonic plague that it's estimated what killed 20 million people. It's hard to even, even grasp that. This description is what? It's worse than anything that has ever taken place in the history of the world. Go back even further to the flood at Noah's day. It's hard. There was no U.S. census at that point. They don't know how many people. It's estimated there were already hundreds of millions of people that were all killed, save eight. Noah and his family. And it talks about the fact that this, this time, worse than ever, is coming, what, in this series of cataclysmic, catastrophic events. And it comes on the heels of what we learned last week. Well, wait a minute, last week we talked about the wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and persecutions, arrests, trials, councils, betrayal, brother against brother, children against parents. Oh yeah, and it says this in verse 13, that you'll, you, you'll be hated by everyone. That's last week, and now things get bad. It, it's hard to comprehend that. But what, as labor pains... So do these pains under God's sovereign reign and rule increase until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everything escalates in this period of time that is referred to as the thlipsis or tribulation. It literally translates in Greek trouble. Trouble. Persecution. Some use the word anguish. Tribulation, I believe, is a literal seven-year period as described in Daniel chapter 9 where we see the 70th week of Daniel, a time of unprecedented, unparalleled destruction when literally Satan and his demons are just cut loose, are let loose. And, and, and what there is destruction like we have never seen. Halfway through this seven-year period, after three and a half years, it becomes what is referred to as the Great Tribulation. You thought that was bad? It's nothing in comparison to the last three and a half years. And it all begins with this moment, this event, the abomination of desolation, something that is an abomination or something that is abominable or something that is utterly loathsome or detestable, something that causes disgust or hatred, an atrocity, a monstrosity, a disgrace. The adjectives just kept coming. That's an abomination. Desolation means literally to be made desolate or to be made laid to waste or a place of complete emptiness and destruction. Again, this time, this event is first used back in Daniel chapter 9 where where it, it referred to a gross act of idolatrous sacrilege, of a pollution that is that is committed in the temple, in the place that represents the very presence of God. 167 BC, we know that the Syrian king, Antiochus IV, desecrated the temple. He came in and to the altar that was normally reserved, what, for the high priest, to sacrifice a lamb, 
for the sins of the people and offer atonement. Antiochus took the, the blood of swine and pigs and spread it and poured it all over that altar and burned pigs on it. You know, later in AD 70, the Roman Empire again desecrated and burned the temple. But this, this tribulation occurs as we read in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Listen carefully. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. But it begins with what? It begins with what looks and sounds so good and so convincing. Peace. Oh, finally, peace. And 927 says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, listen to this, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So we know that God is still in control. After the Antichrist breaks his covenant, the peace treaty, and he begins to slaughter the Jews, he sets up his throne. And it's at this moment when you see the abomination of desolation, you know, you know that this time of thlipsis, tribulation begins. It's interesting that Jesus uses this term. He says, let the reader, let the reader understand. What is that talking about? Jesus is, is probably what? under an olive tree talking to those that are closest to him. He's clearly not talking to the generation of the disciples. He's talking to what? When it is in future written down. As we know, it is recorded in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 18. So that we know it's speaking, in a sense, to generations to come, future generations, those who have read and studied, specifically the New Testament. Now, in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, this is the challenge to try to get through today is this description that I believe it's necessary to get through, and it's in, it's in a little bit more detail. This, this one act, abomination of desolation, ushers in this literal seven-day period, in a sense, happens in three sequences, where there's seven seals of a scroll, there's seven trumpets, and then there's seven bowls, and all of these judgments, they unfold sequentially or progressively, or you could think of it like telescopically. Each one leads into the next. The delight is knowing what, before we get to Romans chapter 6, where there is this description all the way through 18, we know that in, in Revelation chapter 5, that there's one who has the authority to open the scroll. And it says, the Lamb of God, who here is worthy to open it. The Lamb of God. So a reminder that regardless of this description that you will hear that is unheard of and it's horrifying, it keeps people up at night, that God is in absolutely complete control. Let me try to give you very quickly, very briefly, a summary of this tribulation period. The first seal is open and in it there is a white horse that is a picture or a symbol of peace. And on that white horse is a rider that holds a bow, but holds no arrows. A sign in a sense what? That initially it begins with great hope. He also has a crown. It says the Antichrist comes, came out conquering and to conquer. 
second seal is opened, and there is a red horse. It says what? It takes peace from the earth, and people begin to slay one another, and he was given a great sword by the time you get to verse 3 of Revelation chapter 6. The third seal is a black horse with a rider that carries scales for measuring weights and grains. It talks about the fact that there is going to be a famine that inflates the prices of wheat. It talks about inflated eight to ten times the amount. I had to check with Wendy yesterday. How much does a loaf of bread cost? Two fifty, three dollars Imagine paying 25 to $30 for one loaf of bread. We get to the fourth seal, which is a pale horse. It says this, its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and he was given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and pestilence, locusts and bugs and beasts or animals are unleashed that begin to kill people. The fifth seal, we hear that martyrs are beginning to be persecuted and killed in an unparalleled way. And we know already of times in our history that people have died and are presently dying for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happens here in a way that they've never seen before. In the sixth seal, it says that there is an earthquake, a great earthquake, It's described in Revelation chapter 6. Let me read a little bit in verse 12. It says, When he opened the sixth seal, and I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when it's shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. It speaks about ever escalating hard labor pains getting worse and worse and worse. We know what? By the time you get to the seventh seal in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, there is a period of silence, which then reveals seven trumpets that come with progressive and even more disaster. The first trumpet, what? There's hail falling from the sky and fire that is mixed with blood. A third of the earth's trees are burned up. All of the grass on the earth is burned up. There's a second trumpet. It says that there's a great mountain, excuse me, a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea, a meteor or an asteroid of some sort that literally destroys one-third of the sea, turning it to blood. One-third of all sea creatures die. One-third of all of the ships that sail on the globe, all are destroyed. The third trumpet, it says, another great star fell from heaven, flaming like a torch. It destroys one-third of the fresh water and many millions more die. 
the fourth trumpet, one-third of the sun, the moon, and the stars are struck and are darkened. Everything is changed from daylight to nighttime and tides and seasons. It's all upside down. The fifth trumpet, literally hell opens up. Demons are released in the tribulation. It says this in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 6. It's so bad. It says that men will long to die but not find it. And we think for a moment, like how? That God, in a sense, a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of love, loves us enough, what? To chasten. He talks about what at a, at a moment that he removes his hand. And we have to be preparing people for that moment. The sixth trumpet, it says a third of mankind will be killed. Who's ever left will be killed. A third of whoever is left will be killed. An army from the east comes. It says twice, 10,000 times, 10,000. I'll do the math. An army from the east of 200 million soldiers will come to destroy. The seventh trumpet, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and he will reign forever and ever. That I believe is the end of the tribulation which then ushers in very, very quick six successive rapid fire judgments. They're referred to as bold judgments. You'll see in Revelation chapter 16, it begins with boils on everyone, every person and every animal is covered in boils. It says, secondly, the second bowl, everything in the sea that has not died already will die. All fresh water is polluted and contaminated. It says that the sun, although it has burned to a third, is so intense that it is literally burning people alive. As a result of that, the fifth seal, excuse me, fifth bowl, that there's darkness. It actually describes that people tormented from the darkness are gnawing their own tongues, and yet they still are blaspheming the Lord. Talk about hardened hearts. Sixth bowl of the river, Euphrates, drives up, which is the start of the final battle of Armageddon. Well, it's, it's almost impossible when I race through that to touch on very quickly a high-level view of the tribulation with escalating horrors and inevitably the question that I hear the most is this. Will I be there? Will, will we go through this? I have no idea as far as when the Lord's return. I do believe, I really have searched, I believe the New Testament teaches at some point the, 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 the church will be raptured out. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Revelation chapter 3 speaks about the fact that we are kept from that wrath at some level. And we know when the church is removed at some level, the Holy Spirit and all hell breaks loose. But praise God that even in the midst of that, the gospel will still be preached. Even those who have rejected, those neighbors that mock at you for getting up early to come to church, those who, who mock you for taking a tenth, a portion of your tithe to offer it back to the Lord, the family members that have scorned you for your foolish belief in the unseen, God's grace 
is still made real. The gospel is still preached and talks about in Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes who minister the gospel. It talks about two great witnesses, two powerful witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 preaching the gospel. It actually talks in Revelation chapter 14. I love this. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. An angel literally is evangelizing those lost. So powerful will be the revival. It talks about the fact that people from every tongue and tribe and nation will come out and will be saved. Israel, we know at some level, is hardened. Two-thirds of the Jews will be judged for unbelief, but one-third will be saved. The greatest revival of any short period of time in all of history. It explains the fact that what, as a result of the prayers, as a result of the presence of what? The elect. We know that God still chooses. And God still desires for the lost to be rescued and redeemed. Because what of the elect that God in grace shortens the time. Matthew Henry says it like this. It was for the elect's sake that those days were shortened. Many among them fared better for the sake of the few among them that believed in Christ and were faithful. Even the remnants is a blessing. Realize the reminder that you and I today are to be that salt and light. That you and I today are to be the blessing of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in preparation for this day that we know will come. We see quickly the event that marks the time of tribulation. Secondly, we see the instruction for those in the tribulation. Very quickly, it says what you head to the hills. Those in Judea, you flee to the mountains. It talks about the fact that you are to hurry up. Don't bother going back. If you're on the top of the, of the roof, you get out of there. Don't go. If you're in a field, don't go back to grab your cloak, okay? You don't have, you don't need any chicken tortellini at that moment. It's not going to help you. It says what? That you are to hope and to pray that it does not happen in winter. No doubt we are speaking about one of the most severe moments in all of the history of the world, but I believe it is quick and I believe it is temporary. I love the way that Jesus teaches in Luke Luke chapter 21, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. Your redemption is near. Your point of rescue is close. Thirdly and finally, there's a lesson from Jesus' teaching about the tribulation. Lesson number one, listen today. Listen to the words of Jesus and not the words of men. What does it say in verse 23? Be on your guard. I have told you everything that you need to know. There's the idea that we stop listening to some of the garbage news feed and the slop and the lies and the philosophies and the ideologies that say it's going to be Shangri-La someday. We just need more rainbows. No. Listen to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, learn don't be shocked, don't be surprised by trouble and persecution in the Christian life. It's hard for us to fully understand that. The, probably the extent of our persecution is that someone laughs at you. 
Seth and Emily live in an area and serve the Lord in an area that it goes far beyond that. And it talks about called out one suffering on behalf of their faith. Don't be surprised. Thirdly, live knowing that you must decide. At this very moment, you must decide what are you going to do with Jesus. Remember, it's not just you. Perhaps you've already decided, I'm his. You are to present the message to others. What are they going to do with Jesus? The life and the character of this one who in the same moment sits quietly and peacefully under an olive tree with the sun going down with those loved ones who are close. A beautiful scene. And yet in that moment, he describes and foretells the most horrible, horrifying, horrific scene of events that could ever be told. How do we handle this? Jonathan Edwards' sermon on the paradoxical character of Jesus says that the same radically different traits that are normally never combined in any one person will be reproduced in you because you are in the presence of Jesus. Some people are known for what? He's, he's, just, got, he's just got a horrible attitude. He's just got a bad temper. There's just anger. You realize that because of Jesus, you are what? You can become the opposite of that. You're not just becoming a better person. You're not just becoming a more moral person. No, you're becoming a person that recognizes the, the need to be rescued. And you repent from your sins and you turn and you follow the Lord as Lord and live in obedience. You see, that's the life of Jesus. I like the way Tim Keller says, says that Jesus forces our hand at every turn in the story because he is the rest and he is also the storm. Jesus is the victim, as we know, by Friday, but he is also the wielder of the flaming sword, which means what? You must accept him or reject him on the basis of both. Either, either you will have to kill him or you will have to crown him. The one, thing, the one thing that you cannot do, and as you share the good news of the gospel with other people, the one thing you cannot do is say, yeah, he was a, he was a really nice guy. You can't say Jesus was just a smart guy, a good guy, a good teacher, interesting story, fascinating storyteller. No, it's not going to cut it. What are you going to do with Jesus? Don't ever try to keep him on the periphery. Don't try to keep him on the outside, the outskirts of your heart and of your life. And the reason is because I need to tell you that he cannot remain there. What do you do with him? So I close by saying give yourself to him. In moments and texts that are hard to preach, hard to hear, if you're angry, God can give you the ability to forgive. If you're one who struggles with anxiousness or worry or fear, God is the one who can give you peace that is beyond all understanding. If you are prideful, suffer from your own arrogance, God can humble you and will. Let King Jesus rule and 
reign and let his power transform and radically, radically regenerate your life so that you do not live looking forward in a sense of horror, but you live with a sense of hope through the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Oh, how I love your word, although it's challenging at times. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as we continue throughout the course of our day, that we would not forget these words. Speak to us tomorrow and throughout the course of this next week or month. Help us to examine our hearts. Give us the ability to be obedient, to serve you faithfully. Lord, may we understand what we, what we need to do with, with Jesus and may we communicate to others that they must decide what they are to do with King Jesus, the Messiah. We love you. Thank you for this time. Amen. We pray. Amen. Just stand with us, please, as we close.